that set. You have that set. And okay, cool. All right. So, um, as as the the statement said, um, as long as I get my four answered, everything else is free game. Um, nice. If it takes if it takes us ten minutes, it takes us ten minutes, which it never does. Yeah, never, yeah, ever, yeah. ever, well, ever I've does. Been listening to a, a bunch of your podcasts here, so yeah, it's been it's been really good. And then I've been even, I think I'll start turning uh, turning it in like um, my lesson plans for students because we do like a communication and safety and letting them know about it because I think it's important to like w- what you do. Is, yeah, is important, right? So. Um, just the 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 things that uh, like empowerment and just getting technicians kind of some of them out of their shell and just learning new things, right? Because we can always get stuck in a rut and and you know everyone just kind of stays where they're at and they're unhappy. I remember that you had a podcast, you had one podcast where you talked about a guy that he was unhappy mm-hmm. and everyone in the shop was leaving. And it ended up being was it him that was kind of the the issue? Yeah, it, he had he was. I, if I rec- I'm sorry, I've done enough of them now that I'm sorry yeah. I have to go back to notes to reference them. But uh, I think I did one on a gentleman who um, had a completely rotating shop after, and it was it, I think if I recall his, it was like after four years he was the he was the only one left that was there when he started. He's yeah. a comp- like he's mm-hmm. like a man on island kind of yeah. circumstance. Yeah. 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 So I remember listening to that one and going, holy crap, like that's, that's such like a, to, and then for you to help them through that realization too, right? That, and I was like, man, this is, this, that had some weight. I felt, I kind of felt that, right? So there's yeah. a, there's a couple of them, like there's, unfortunately I've, I've done a lot of sessions I can't mm-hmm. share. Yeah. Um, I try to, I try to reference them if I can. And I, I know I've dialed back on the content because I, I've, you know, I, you know, taking my own advice. You know, you're doing too much. You're not spending time with family or whatever, whatever. And and that was me. I, you know, I yeah. spend 40 hours a week in the shop, and then 40 hours a week or better sitting in this office. You know, mm-hmm. recording with people that aren't my family. You know, spending time with mm-hmm. people that aren't my family. And yeah. you know, it it takes a weight on it. And at the same time, these folks that share some of the stuff with me, you know, the similarities between their life, my life. Really, it's the root of why I started the podcast and why I started the mm-hmm. business and, and pivoted the business the way I have to try and help them, empower them, realize mm-hmm. that you know ninety eight percent of the time we are our own worst enemy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't tell you how often and the sheer volume of technicians who compl- who are complaining about pay or complaining about environment or complaining about this, and they're just generally complaining nonstop and haven't figured out that they are the source of the bulk of the negativity and a mindset Mm -hmm. shift in the day Mm -hmm. will allow them to get through the challenge that they're complaining about Mm -hmm. more than anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think I said it today, I responded to somebody today is if you're in a situation where you're complaining, nothing's going to change. Mm hmm. If you're in a situation and you're doing everything you possibly can and you're documenting what you're doing and you're okay, you're putting yourself in a position where you're positive or you're doing everything you can to be positive. You're doing, you know, a daily activity to try and improve your environment, you're doing a daily activity to try and improve communication, and after your own personal set of time, 
like whether it's a week, which is unrealistic, or whether it's yeah. three months or yeah. six months to go, hey, after six months, I've put the last six months of effort in. I can go back into my journal and say, these are the things that I have done to work on myself, work on my behavior, work on my output, work on my productivity and my skills, and nothing's changed in the shop. If you are then bringing it to your leader and saying, hey, these are the things that I'm trying to, to better myself so that I am better for myself and my family, but also maybe to be better part of the team, Can what are the things that we can do to work together on to try and improve the environment? And if you get nothing, why are you still there? Mm-hmm. And that's, don't, if you do nothing, at least leave mm-hmm. and try and find the place that fits. If not, try yeah. to try to do your self-reflection and try and work on mm-hmm. yourself so that maybe you can then fit versus yeah, trying exactly. to find a place that you do fit. Yeah. So it's, and like I keep saying, it's a lot of it comes back to, I, I feel like a lot more of a, a therapist than, than I right? do anything yeah. else, just listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's you know, what the, uh, a lot of guys in our industry need. We, we need someone that we can relate to <clears throat> because mm-hmm. there's no therapist on the planet that's ever spent time in a shop, knows what that actually feels like, right? Mm-hmm. And they can go and actually kind of relate to what we do on a daily basis in a shop or whatever setting that we're in, right? And then even our home life after, right? It's a little bit different than, um, <clears throat> good Lord. <clears throat> a little bit different than, than white collar, whatever jobs you might have, right? Our, our home life and our work life is completely different, right? <clears throat> so yeah, it's kind of when I, when I picked up your podcast, I was like, holy crap, this is, yeah, a little bit of therapist, but can relate. And that's the biggest thing I think. Right, being able to relate to to the things that we go through, right? Big time, and that's and you know you hit the nail on the head in terms of therapy. Mm-hmm. I I regularly preach, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps you need to seek therapy. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge for me to say it because mm-hmm. the majority of therapists aren't even going to have even remotely a clue what it's genuinely like. But the counterpoint to that is because they know nothing about what we what we actually experience. They're going to focus on the things that may be outside of that that can help in it. It's the mm-hmm. indirect stuff. And that's why, you know, I, I literally sat down with my son tonight. He had, a, another, he had a, another meltdown tonight about something mm-hmm. completely trivial. Mm-hmm. And it's no diff- it doesn't matter whether you're 9 or 90, 29, 49, whatever. If something is affecting you emotionally, the rest of your everything it doesn't matter what what you're talking doesn't about matter what the rest of your everything just yeah. starts to dissolve mm-hmm. right and the things that i learned in therapy the things that, that my son has learned talking to a therapist mm-hmm. is the very first thing you need to do is pause and breathe mm-hmm. and when he mm-hmm. doesn't pause and breathe he sticks his foot in his mouth or he opens his mm-hmm. mouth when he shouldn't and he says stuff he yeah. really shouldn't yeah and that's i think when most of us make those same kinds of mistakes where, you know, you say that you aren't the reason why you just got fired, you know, I just got fired because I, you know, they think I have another comeback and this is, no, it's because you probably shot your mouth off for like the 10th time. And it Mm -hmm. just happened to be that this was during a time in the last 48 hours where you had a comeback, which whether it was your fault or not, is irrelevant. It was Mm -hmm. another thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's not just personality. Now it's a question of your ability. 
Yeah. And yeah. when a leader can no longer trust you uh, unequivocally mm-hmm. and your communication is poor, mm-hmm. bye. Yeah. That's, it's, yeah. it's that simple. Mm-hmm. So, and I, ha- and from a leader point of view, from my own leadership point of view, if I can't trust you unequivocally mm-hmm. to make sure that the customer is safe mm-hmm. and you're shooting your mouth off, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time because you can shoot your mouth off if you want. I, I will, I will do what I can to, to, um, defer or uh, dissolve the situation as best as I can. But if you're mm. not prioritizing customer safety, that's yeah. Bye. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. And it goes a little or bit like, like, even customer safety, right? It's everyone else on the road in our job too, right? And then making sure that even ourselves, we get home, right? Because they're mm-hmm. um, today. Um, so first day of class and we have a student that says, hey, yeah, our shop's like the leader of OSHA violations and made a joke about it. And I was like, wait a sec. I'm like, you think that's funny? I'm like, so you're putting yourself in harm's way and your employer's just, oh, yeah, well, whatever. The, you know, lose a finger or whatever. It'll grow back, you know. Mm-hmm. But to make a joke, so that's still in in this day and age common place to make a joke about that. I don't. I still don't think that's, that's appropriate, right? So... And I've seen no. this trade now for 20 years. I've seen a lot of accidents and that could have been preventable and guys not getting to go home that night because they got to spend a couple of days in the hospital. And then you still, this young, the, the, the guy today was, I think he's like 18 or 19 years old and making a joke about his shop's either OSHA violations, right? So, this, is, this is one of those moments where when you're 19, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, before I make that comment, I want you to do something for me just quick mm-hmm. because this is something that came up last week when I was filming with the boys and I made mm-hmm. a joke about it. And now that I've made a joke about it, I now think of it every time. Can you, I get you to do something? Look yeah. at the center of your camera mm-hmm. and put your forehead in the center, center of the camera. Okay. Yep. You're going to have, you don't have to lean if you want to mm-hmm. move your chair, or get centered or whatever. But yeah. I made oh. a joke. Uh, um, Richard is the worst for it because he does one of these and he does this. Oh, and then okay. he's completely out of frame. And the unfortunate yeah. thing is when he does that, it's because the the cogs are working so hard in his head and he's about to say something really, really smart. Yeah. And he says something really smart, but he does it when he's here and he's completely out of frame. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. just, well, be, just be in frame. So yeah. it be, OSHA violations are funny at mm. 19. Because yeah, you don't yeah. know any better, you're stupid. You're stupid and, and immature and arrogant, yeah. and you you know everything. So OSHA's funny. Mm-hmm. When you're 40, OSHA's not funny. OSHA violations are not fun anymore because you again, it, like you just said, they're not funny anymore because in all likelihood you made the stupid mistakes when you were 19, mm-hmm. 25, 29, and now you're missing parts of your finger, and now mm-hmm. you have a bad back, and now mm-hmm. your knee pops yeah. out every once in a while, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They make great TikToks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't make for a, a longevity in your career as a mechanic. No. no. So. Yeah. Yeah. Be safe out there, boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be safe out there. Yeah. You know, um, we, and we still kind of joke about it because the, uh, in our industry, WC, or was it, no, uh, 
OHS says 50 pounds is the max that we can lift, right? Well, a brake drum on a Kenworth is 115 pounds. And guys are yarding those off and yarding them back on all day long, right? By themselves. So it's still, and then you wonder why at the end of the week, even though the guy's 20 years old, he's like, man, my back is tight. It hurts. You know, what's going on? Well, it's because you've been doing brake jobs all week. Because you are a first-year apprentice, that's kind of, or a second-year apprentice, that's kind of the work that we give you or guys get, right? But, yeah, 115-pound drum. There's six drums on a tandem drive truck. And yeah, you're pulling those off and pulling them on all day long. So yeah, that's, that's still, there's no, and you're still expected to do that in what I think they say 20 minutes, half an hour aside, right? So you're, <laughs> you're, moving. That. you're moving, right? So, and I've done it. Yeah, I've you're, 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 yeah. Unless you're at a shop. So this is, this is contextual, mm-hmm. uh, 2000. And working at the Ben store as Tower and, and the gentlemen that are doing uh, mm-hmm. the run flat changeovers on, on MLs and GLs. So GLs back then and, and folks that are working at Mercedes stores can, can correct me, but those uh, those old models, they were 110 wheel and tire per mm-hmm. corner. 110 <clears throat> pounds wheel and tire. So some of the stores had wheel lifts Hmm. um some didn't Mm -hmm. and you know you can lift those correctly Hmm. air quotes correctly um but when you're doing two two and a half sets three sets of those a day Mm -hmm. so you're lifting what's that 1500 1600 pounds within a day and you're you're doing the squats you're doing the deadlifts you're doing Mm -hmm. the, the shoulder presses that requires to get them on and they're not exactly the easiest thing to to line up, you know, uh, line up your drum and or not your drum, my goodness, line up your rotor and and hub yeah. and, yeah, and hub, wheel yeah. all in the same because you've got. Well, it's just that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. And there are shops, lots of shops out there that don't have wheel lifts, and they ah mm-hmm. oh, mechanics, yeah, they lift it. They're strong, you know, strong backs. Well, not strong backs for long. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm thankful that even doing tires as an older mechanic, as I as I aged into doing mechanics, doing tires, mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I wasn't in automotive anymore doing seasonal changeovers because doing tires in tire season on motorcycles is not the same as doing tires during tire season in automotive. Yeah. Right. It's it's not. I have two to do versus one. The difference being is it'll take me an hour and a half. You know, an hour and a half is my full re and re for one. Mm-hmm. Right. If if maybe a little bit longer if it's a fully dressed bagger. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not light, and it's not nice to get them off the way we have to get them off through uh, the lift and so on and so forth. It's just super fucking awkward at arm's length. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad I did it once, you know, every, you know, two, cause I was never on a bike for just tires. Like it was so rare that I was doing just tires. I was doing tires, pad, tires and pads, at least tires, pads, oil change, maybe brake fluid. So I would probably be on a bike the majority of the time during tire season. I was on a bike for a day mm-hmm. for the most part, like six, six to seven hours, give or take solid, mm-hmm. but two tires maintenance mm-hmm. maybe a repair 
maybe yeah. some pads. Yeah. But on on during tire season on tires, you know, I I recall stories where I think I did the math, and I think if I recall my very first year turning wrenches as as a young buck, I think I did twenty five hundred tires. Yeah. You know, twenty five, and this is this is back when it wasn't rim on tires. It was yeah. higher off, and mm-hmm. you know, twenty five hundred sets, give or take, because we were just getting in. We were, we were the store was just getting into doing uh, rim and tire packages, so we were blowing them at the door like crazy, stupid prices. So I think I, I don't know how many we pre built, but we chockers the shop, mm-hmm. and it was some stupid number. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I, I digress. Yeah, yeah. We're no, getting into the weeds before we even yeah. before we even really start. We're into the weeds. Yeah. No, I, and I hear that because like our industry, so commercial vehicle inspections, right, yearly. Mm-hmm. So there's a shop that I still uh, still part of part time. Um, slowly, slowly, less and less, less and less, because school's taking it up, and then I have my own business, and we can talk about that later. But um, we get a couple of young guys in there, first and second year apprentices, and they do CVIPs um, all day long, right? So trailer comes in, wheels off, drums off for measurements and inspection, then wheels and drums back on. Unless they fail, if they fail, then they're throwing new drums or whatever on, right? But they're doing four or five, maybe, inspections a day in an eight-hour day, and that's all they're doing, pulling wheels, pulling drums, pulling wheels, pulling drums making measurements, throwing them back on, right? And that's, so the shop is probably doing 100, 200 CVIPs on trailers alone in a year, right? Wow. And it's it's just two, three guys, you know? And now I'm at a point, you know, if if I'm in there and they hand me an inspection, it's like, I got to pull wheels and drums? Oh, (laughs) you know, you get your head into it, right? Because I'm like, work is work. I'm one of those guys where work is work. doesn't matter what it is. Like, I'll still go do clutches, whatever. It doesn't matter. Clutches, diffs, it doesn't matter. So, but still, it's, you know, you look at it, you're like, holy crap. And then you see the young guys and they're doing doing those all day long, right? And, uh, yeah, it's still. Yeah, think, but it makes you think back, you know, go back 20 yeah. years. It's like, what was it like when I, yeah. did I have to do this bullshit or was, or was mm-hmm. my bullshit easier? Actually, I think right? I was, <laughs> my bullshit was easier. Because I think back then it was wheels off every two years. We were allowed to do what we call cam rotations. Um, mm-hmm. So you just had to wrench over the slack adjuster, and depending on how far it rotated, you would take a measurement. So if it was sixty degrees, then I think we would then pull wheels and drums and measure one or the other. If you were past, or no, if you were past sixty degrees, because then it meant either drums or shoes were worn, right? Because at one hundred and twenty degrees. It was complete failure on on one or the other, so we knew we had to pull. So back then, at least we could do uh, cam rotations, but we can't do that anymore. Not allowed to, right? So now it's completely wheels on, or wheels off, drums off, right, for inspections. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, interesting. And I, I didn't know that it was that. Mm-hmm. You know that a that there was a previous, and now that there is uh, a requirement. Good to mm-hmm. know. Good to know yeah. for folks that, and and to think. <clears throat> there are some young mechanics out there. It's like I want to get into working on heavy truck, heavy coach. I want to work mm-hmm. on buses, or I want to work on rigs, or I want to work on this, that, the other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dues to pay, and mm-hmm. and it's not. It, it's hard for me to say dues to pay anymore, but at the same time, it's still, it's it's like going 
the description of going to college, and I and I think I'm not remember what what movie it's quoted from. I've never seen the whole movie, but it's it's Stallone quoting. You know, college is not to really learn. University mm-hmm. isn't necessarily really learn. It's to show a prospective employer that you went to the same place for four years. You reasonably showed up on time. You reasonably well did the work. You did the work to a satisfactory completion level as mm-hmm. requested and followed instruction, and you did it consistently for four years. Yeah. Forget about forget about what you learned or didn't learn or how much you party or whatever. You followed yeah. that for four years. That's kind of what the first year to two years for a lot of dealership apprentice learning is, is can you prove that you are someone who is trustable, mm-hmm. who is responsible, who is responsible enough with someone else's life in their hands? Because when you're pulling drums and shoes and, and tires and stuff off of, of trailers, off of trucks, off of cars, whatever, when you put them back on, if you don't put them back on properly and torque everything down properly and you do your due diligence and make your notes and so forth, if you don't do it properly, someone, maybe a lot of people might die. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah. You know, you blow up a motor, yeah, motor, somebody, yeah. you know, if it blows up you in the middle promoted. of World War One, you, know, you blow up an engine, you get promoted, so. <laughs> like, yeah. blowing a motor or blowing up a tranny, yes, really bad things can happen, but mm-hmm. wheels off, really, yeah. really bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So, it's a fundamental paying of dues that, and it's not so much paying of dues, it's, it's verifying accountability and, and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now, there yep. are some folks out there that say, you know, we shouldn't do that and, and, you know, you should be given good work right off the bat to get them, you know, get them tasting good stuff right away. And I don't disagree with that, mm-hmm. but I think it needs to be, like many things, it needs to be in moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very glad my own mechanic upbringing was a mixture of the both. It mm-hmm. wasn't heavy in the, the, the jammy learning. It mm-hmm. was... Uh, bits and pieces it was like once a week for a while and then it became more and more mm-hmm. because we need to be taught and we need to lay the foundation I, like I said today you know without a foundation of trust you can't build success mm-hmm. like it's it's there's it's it's that's very important yeah so yeah so let's let's uh, now that we've we've been covering a lot of bases right off the hop mm-hmm. let's yeah. dive into some primary what so, Brent, what got you into automotive, fundamentally? What what was the, the catalyst? Uh, I think so. My dad, like, my dad, we, like, we kind of, the way I grew up, he, he was always kind of tinkering on something. He kind of had a background in a little bit of automotive, a little bit of heavy duty. Um, and then I think high school, I went to high school in Ontario, um, automotive class kind of really got me roll in and I didn't do too well in high school and then the second I got out of high school I you know southern Ontario went and worked in a steel or a galvanizing factory and then mm-hmm. worked there with my dad he was a crane operator and um I think it was right around when I was 24 my dad's like you need to get the fuck out of here You're wasting your life right and then I was like okay so what do I do so started you know trying to do some job searches or whatever it was to 2005 Alberta was booming right so I just made a few phone calls yeah when do you want to start you can start tomorrow right you know 
And so I moved out here, yeah, then 2005, 2006 and started my apprenticeship and uh, as in heavy duty. And, and ever since then, it's just been a, it's been a, it's been a good ride. I mean, I can't complain, right? Um, love it. And now I'm an instructor at Nate, so Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, probably um, Canada's largest um, training facility for skilled trades, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, I think our program alone puts out, I want to say 1,200 apprentices a year, right? I would say that you're, I, I don't know whether you're bigger, quote unquote, Mm-hmm. than Georgian College is mm-hmm. for putting out folks in the trade because Georgian does all of automotive uh, does okay, automotive so I'm just, it, yeah I'm just thinking automotive, heavy world yeah. oh heavy duty yeah for sure yeah. Yeah. purely and simply for heavy duty absolutely mm-hmm. Nate does yeah. I think, I'm think I'm trying to think numbers wise where there was there was about 30 per class mm-hmm. level 1, level 2, level 3 for automotive in mm-hmm. pure automotive, in in the block release, mm-hmm. they have about thirty in class for the day release that go once a week, and they do, I think they do four sessions a year for automotive. So we'll call that, what's that, ninety every four months. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know what? You would have to combine all of aviation, automotive, even the the head truck coach because I don't think truck coach is that big. Mm-hmm. formally because most of the truck coach here in Ontario is led by the independent um, not the independent my goodness led by brands like Volvo uh, Volvo has a very big program through Georgian College um, but you know the Chrysler program and the Chev- Chevy program is big at Georgian College down in Scarborough and they're so moving and they've got the uh, aviation camp there too one instructor and he did his 310T because that's what it's called in Ontario, right? Yeah. The heavy duty truck yeah. and coach. And he did his at Mohawk College in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And he said when he It's went a much to, smaller college down there, but they, they're, I think they only do truck coach and automotive. They don't think they do anything else there. Yeah. He said there's nine people in his class almost every year that he went through, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy crap, when I came through in Alberta every year, it was 24 of us, 24, 24. And I think starting next year, in our full-time mm-hmm. program, they want to put 32, 32 into a class. Yeah. That's so. going to be tough for you teachers, man. Like, yeah. there, was, there, was, there was 12, I think there was 12 of us when we started my, so my motorcycle level one mm-hmm. back in the fall of last year. Which I'm obviously not going to go back for my level two now, but uh, my level one, there was twelve of us that were theoretically supposed to show up on day one. Mm-hmm. Only nine showed up on day one, and there was only eight of us that followed through to the end uh, of the term after eight weeks. Oh, wow. yeah. And one individual missed, I think, twelve days. So I think he attendance attendance failed the the mm-hmm. course. So, so for us, because I think it's ten percent. You can't miss <clears throat> more than eight days. Can't miss more than eight days, so that's way better than out here. So can't miss more than twelve hours, or eighteen hours. Sorry, so three days. So you miss three days. That's, you're out. Yeah, that's that's tough. In eight weeks, because right? I, I would imagine some of that stuff you can definitely make back, but three mm-hmm. days, only three days of a three days. now is it eight weeks? Eight weeks. Yep. Three days and eight weeks. So three days of forty. You know yeah. that's 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 challenge. 
Well, and the the big caveat is that is because uh, it, it's taxpayer dollar, right? Because it's like a three to one ratio. So like you know, if yeah. a student comes in, they spend their I think it's twelve hundred dollars now. So then taxpayer taxpayer money makes up the rest of that. So it mm-hmm. it gets you know around five thousand dollars a seat somewhere on there, just under there, right? Mm-hmm. To come through apprenticeship. So that's the big thing, right? So if you're gonna come in and there's no screwing around, it's eight weeks. Like I went through the program and I don't think. I think for my, because I did the three-year on-road, so first, second, and what they consider fourth period. So I have my on-road, mm-hmm. heavy-duty, red seal, right? Um, I don't think I missed any time, but there was guys that had to be taken aside and, like, listen, like, you miss one more minute, you're toast, you're out, right? Because they were right on that cusp, right? And then even if you... And I think, I think they have to get that because there, there's a line... Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing... If you miss a day, mm-hmm. right? You miss a day. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not the end of the world if you miss a day. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You know, uh, even in Ontario, it's the same thing. It's ta- it's heavily tax funded. Mm-hmm. Um, our in automotive automotive and motorcycle were the same price. It was four hundred bucks for the eight weeks. Oh, the rest wow. of it's covered. And in, in basically, in, in, in mm-hmm. for the amount that is even at three to one. Mm-hmm. And three to one, we're basically paying for ourselves through our own income tax. Yeah. Yeah. So we're paying for ourselves. We're just paying for it in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand the concept behind, you know, this is actually federally funded. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're going to go through all this process and, and take up a seat where somebody else would be here, you're literally taking money out of somebody else's pocket to waste their time. Yeah. And you, same um, thing in Ontario. You guys get uh, unemployment insurance for your eight weeks, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 yeah. It, yeah. It it was. Now, it took me. This time around, it took me almost nine months to get my unemployment. So, that's a whole story. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell it. For fuck's sake. Yeah. Do so, it. I the first time around. So level one, two, three. I did two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. So, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, the first time you go unemployment as mechanic, uh, back then, it is the same rules apply. You get you get to lose a week, so you're going mm-hmm. for eight. You're not going to get paid for eight. You're going to pay for seven. Like, yeah. Okay, price to pay, and mm-hmm. you do that every time you go on unemployment for trade school. Mm-hmm. All right, again, price that you have to pay. It's calculated at fifty five percent of your last twelve weeks of earnings. It's like, okay. As an apprentice, that really sucks. Like mm. if you have, if you genuinely have some bills to pay as an apprentice, and you go from making whatever you're making, which is not much, to fifty five percent of that, well, that sucks. It, mm. it it's it, there is it's it's awful. Mm. The first time around, it took uh, it took four months. I think I want to say so. I went in the fall, um, September, October, and. I got paid. It was it was almost March break when I got paid, the first time around. Second time around, it was like two months, not a big deal. Second, a third time around, two months, not a big deal. Things processed, blah blah blah. You start. Basically, I was getting money. As I was going back to work, I started mm-hmm. to also get my unemployment money. So it was like, oh hey, I got all this money. Right. You know, young yeah. kid didn't really know different. shit about shit. Yeah. Right. But this time around is a little <laughs> different. You know, being. You know, 38 years old at the time with wife, with child, with mortgage and being told, okay, 
I was making a full-time wage, and now I'm making 55% of that wage. Okay, that sucks. Mm -hmm. But I know how this works. Like, what do I have to do to make sure that I get paid? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what, what has to happen? Like, well, hey, make sure everything's filled out properly. Okay, here, day one. Here you go. Exactly, like, yeah. I'm theoretically a much more responsible adult now. Like, okay, everything day one, I <laughs> don't right, have any right, issues. Yeah. I was in first in line. I was like, I was Johnny on the spot. Like, I, this needs to be right. Mm -hmm. And I was there. And we filled out the paperwork. It's like, okay, this is all great. Oh, now you, you're commuting? Okay, awesome. You get a trans, you know, the opportunity to apply for transportation bonus. It's like, okay, awesome. Because it's no longer, you know, 58 cents a liter. It's now $1.70 a liter for me to commute down here, you know, two hours every day. It's $1.73 right now. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel Canadian, so it's it's funny money for any of the the Americans listening right now. You can all have right. a good laugh, but so we're um, dollar, I just gassed up yesterday. We're dollar thirty nine. Yep, that's yep. what uh, two provinces away will do. Yeah, yeah. So went through the process, and you know, two weeks go by, don't think anything of it. Three weeks go by, nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. Four weeks go by, I get my I get a random check for seven hundred bucks. Like okay, cool. This doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. It has. Uh, there's. I could not come up with the. I could not make any sense of seven hundred dollars. Mm. Like no division of fifty five percent of anything that I could come up with made any sense. It's like okay, cool. I got You know, got paid my transportation mm. all in a lump sum because there's no way it's hit seven hundred dollars a week. Yeah. So I make a phone call. Make another phone call. Another phone call. Another phone call. There's only so many hours in the day where I'm supposed to be at class where I can call. So it's like it's lunchtime. It's like I'm calling on my lunch. I pick up the phone as soon as I'm done to start, you know, start lunch and wait on hold. Click, gotta go back to class. Pick up, nope, gotta go back to class. So I, I did this for like four weeks trying yeah. to get through. Never got through. I finally got through, it was my last week, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, think sometimes things take time. It's like, well, I've been not getting paid now for eight weeks. Yeah. I have a family. I have a mortgage payment. I have food. I have you know car yeah. payment. These like these are real world mm -hmm. mechanic problems. I need yeah. to get paid. Yeah. It's like well these things take time. You have to wait. It's like can you figure out whether it's in process or what? it things take time. So I literally got the same. So I called back and uh, probably four more times, give or take over the course of the next month because obviously you know last week of school next mm -hmm. week I go back to work and I start getting paid again so life is going to be very 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 hard for the next two months mm -hmm. and we'll we'll figure it out my wife and I we'll figure it out we'll tighten our belts and we'll make it work thank god mm -hmm. we saved for Christmas prior to me going to school yeah but we made it work yeah and then I made a series of phone calls over the course of January February March uh, I think I made I think finally in May I finally got through in May and I, I finally got through to somebody who would actually say, "Hey, can I talk to your manager, please? This, this is this is not acceptable anymore. I'm there's almost four thousand dollars that I should have been paid during that period of time that I haven't been compensated for, and I've been paid something that I don't understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me look. It's like I've heard this before. Can you get your manager, please? <clears throat> so finally, I got somebody on that did their due diligence and went back. And said, oh yeah, you wouldn't have gotten paid." What do you mean I wouldn't have gotten paid? 
Yeah, there's there's something on your account that you needed to do reporting during your trade school, which is doesn't make any sense because if you're going to trade school, there's a little checkbox that your like person would have checked. Yeah. You're yeah. going to school. There's no need to report. You've said you're not working and you're not claiming anything. Obviously, if you did work and you did make money during that time, that's fraudulent. It's mm -hmm. like, I understand that. I didn't work. So, okay. It, again, it's still, it was a little checkbox. You were yeah. not supposed to do reporting. You're not supposed to have claimed reporting. You would never have gotten paid. Mm -hmm. So I'm very thankful for that last individual that I spoke to, but it took me more hours than I would care to admit. Mm -hmm. And we work when they work. Yeah. They, they don't work late. Yeah. They don't work early. Mm -hmm. It's they work when the rest of us who work full-time jobs as mechanics work. Yeah. And we, we, get we don't get three hours on the, we don't get three hours in the middle of the day to wait on hold for someone to finally come to the phone. Yeah. Yeah, if I have three hours in the middle of the day, I don't want to be on the phone, right? And what do we get at work? <laughs> now, somebody will say, I've been on hold for three hours talking to engineering, yeah. but that's not, not the same but thing. We're paid to do it, right? So Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. three hours yeah. on hold with Eaton. Oh, man, I remember those days. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, like, what do we get? Two 15-minute coffee breaks and a half-hour lunch usually? What are we supposed to do in that amount of time? I can barely feel like I've eaten something and I had a decent break before it's time to get back to throwing wrenches right again right so and as a young mechanic we don't really stop it's yeah. do you did you actually stop or did you just take eight smoke breaks and eat your sandwich with dirty fingers while yeah. working yeah yeah for the most part that's what most of us now, now yeah. oh, i don't smoke or i don't drink coffee or i don't eat sandwiches or i oh, yes you did yeah you, 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 even if you didn't smoke, you probably smoked because your bay mate probably smoked a pack a day. So you were still smoking a pack a day. Oh, yeah. I remember trying to quit when I worked at one of the dealerships here and I uh, worked night shift. So uh, like 4, oh, that's the worst. 4, 4 p.m. to midnight. And then we'd always work three or four hours overtime. So it was almost like a four to four. Right. And mm -hmm. it was a night shift because it was four days on, four days off. Right. So I might have given away what dealership it was. But either way. Um, yeah, I remember trying to quit on night shift and m the guys that I worked with on that shift, they were all pack, pack and a half, you know, a day guys, right? So you're trying to quit and I'm trying to like, you know, slim down. Maybe I'll smoke 10 today. No, no, no. I'll smoke 10 on coffee break. <laughs> one, you know, just one after another, right? I never, I never formally worked evenings like that. I never worked like a night shift on the bench, but for all the years I worked at the Dodge store in, in the city mm. on the bench, there was seldom a day where I didn't stay past six, seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. And there were nights when I was working on something ridiculous. And this is back again, this is, I referenced the same bloody thing cause it was hell on earth. It was the 2010, 2011 Jeep Grand Cherokees with a diesel in it. So I was trying to get it finished up because nobody wanted to do it. So I was doing them, whatever. Mm -hmm. But 11 o'clock at night, you know, smoking, drinking coffee, Mm -hmm. And thank God there was a Tim Hortons literally around the block, so you go yeah. to, you know a block away, grab grab four Tim Hortons coffees, so you didn't have to go out again. Yeah, you know microwave one when you microwave. need one. And yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> now, were you at the shop where there were guys that would walk in at seven a.m. and they'd walk in with a a, a tray of coffees for themselves? They'd yeah, sit well, it down yeah. on their bench and they well, and they take the first one. For the yeah. day, and then at break they take the second one, and at lunch they take the third one, and at break yeah. again they take the fourth one. They didn't need yeah. five because at the end of the day they just go get another coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I were, and I was like that for a little bit too because we were so busy. I remember, yeah, walking in, and I'd probably have two extra large double doubles, and an, um, and a, and a sugar free monster because you know you got to balance that out, right? And <laughs> and then now did you hey did you start that way? Do you start with double doubles or do you just start with a heavy sugar like I did? Double just double doubles. I remember being in high school. I remember my dad um, picking like he worked night shift. So he would pick me up and like come home from work and drive me to school and then I would take the city bus home, right? And I remember we'd stop and get a coffee in the morning and then the old man was just like, "You're getting a double double. That's it, right?" And that was that was it, right? Whether I liked it or not, right? I always felt like I needed more sugar back then, but I think that kind of just and that was back when like Tim Hortons coffee was good. Now it's like having Tim Hortons coffee. I'm like, what is this? Slop water. Go get me a Starbucks, right? So uh, I yeah. I can't I can't do it. I can't yeah. do the Starbucks. I can't yeah. do I can't do it. It's Tim Hortons or nothing for the most part. And I, but I started. I did not start with a double double. I started no. with four by fours. Oh, I started. Yeah, I uh. believe me. I didn't like coffee. I and I don't think I even yeah. today. I don't think I really like coffee. Yeah. Um, but I started with four by fours, and I finally made it to triple triples. And then it, it took me probably a decade to get down to double doubles. Yeah. yeah. And so now like, I'm, uh, if I make coffee at home, it's black. And then if I go to Starbucks, you're gonna you're gonna laugh, but it's a it's a venti vanilla sweet cream cold brew, light ice, and two shots of espresso added to it. That's so almost as bad. That, that's that's worse than my wife. My wife is a uh, grande, no fat, no water, no foam, uh, extra hot chai tea latte. Oh, wow. And depending on the day, an extra shot of vanilla. Oh yeah. <clears throat> that so is, it's, like it's a lot. Pretty pretty much right off the menu, and then the two extra shots of espresso. So I yeah. worked it out. It's about three. I think it's about three hundred milligrams of caffeine. Yeah. That's, a, that's an energy drink. Yeah, right? So, yeah. That's an energy drink. Yeah. yeah. And then I always get like, a look. They're like, you adding espresso to just a cold brew? I'm like, yep. Yeah. They're like, so that's like adding coffee to coffee. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how I like it. Now, that's a reference, that's... Dennis Lillery. Stop, stop, stop putting the shit in the coffee. Yeah, <laughs> it's right? not, it's yeah. like coffee-flavored coffee is literally yeah. what you're making. It's just yeah. right, right yeah. out of his what – was, what, was what was that show? What was that name of that – I want to go back and watch that again. I've I've had I've literally brought that up in conversation like three times in the past week. What was the name Dennis of his that stand-up routine? Oh, the inner thoughts or something like that. Oh man, that's going back. Oh, on. this is. I'll I'll have to look at it after. I'll have to look at it. But that was just the that's one result. Referencing pulling time, right? Literally smoking nonstop. Yeah, he's literally nonstop. smoking nonstop. The oh, he's pacing the stage, smoking nonstop. He's talking about eight balls. He's talking about kids pulling up their pants. He's talking about. Um, the kid behind the Seven Eleven that had a tongue piercing so big that he couldn't keep his tongue in his mouth. Yeah. And uh, I remember the phrase "if maple nut crunch" because he couldn't say maple nut crunch properly because the yeah. tongue stud was so big in his mouth. Yeah. I oh remember. my goodness. Yeah, I remember that. I remember because how how old was I when that came out? Oh man, that's that was a long time ago, man. That was, long, that was late '90s, was it not? Gotta be late '90s, easily 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. Oh wow. Easily twenty twenty five years ago. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. So you you spent your old man basically kicked you out without doing the formal kick out. He kicked you out because he wanted to be he wanted you to be better, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you spent a lot of time fixing stuff, and now mm. you fix stuff 
for so long that you're now teaching stuff the young folks coming in yeah. at NAIT. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what happened along there for you to f- figure out that you want to teach? Like, what was what was the catalyst? What was the, the things that happened? Like, is there some stories in there for, for I, teaching I while you were drenching or... I, I, yeah, exactly. I think it was, uh, it was, and I, and I see it more and more and I hear about it more and more from students now. It's, it's a lack of mentorship that's out there right now. Right. And I, and, and I look back on, on my experiences kind of going through the trade and it seems like every three or four years I had a, a career change, you know, wheel in the toolbox Mm -hmm. out because of whatever reason and then moving on to something else. Right. And I think that's kind of what it was. It was like, well, if you're not going to teach me anything, then why the fuck am I here? Right. I'm like, and I'm smart enough to figure it out myself, but there's times where it's that, that little bit of like arrogance kind of gets under your skin where you go and ask a question. It's like, Hey, what about, uh, you know, what if we try it like this? And it's like, well, that's not going to work. What do you, what are you stupid? And you're like, okay, well, whatever. And then, you know, it turns out that it was their idea and it worked right but it was you would come come up first with, with that kind of thing so i think it's it it was kind of that and uh i think it kind of a little bit of a luck of the draw because it was uh i applied for the job didn't think i would ever get it and i get a phone call for an interview and then i get a phone call saying hey when do you want to start and it's like holy crap so <laughs> bang 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 right so yeah and i applied for it like in like the spring I think right, right before COVID happened. And then I didn't get a, yeah, it was like January, February, right before COVID. And then I get a phone call in September saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, would you be still be interested? We know you applied for this back then. I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So went through the whole interview process and then started in, um, started during COVID November, November, 2020. Right. And then, uh, it actually, it's weird because it, feels like that's kind of what I've wanted to do for a long time right and it actually feels it actually feels like good getting up and going to work and and knowing that uh that people rely on you for for what what experience and knowledge you do have right so you know um kind of feels like that's where I'm supposed to be you know that's awesome back, yeah so back that's like, awesome like, wrenches and that kind of stuff you know it like I always was I don't think I was like an overachiever, but I always got the job done, right? And never, I don't know, never really felt like, looking back, never really felt like I really excelled, but probably because I was like, if I'm really good at it, and you know how dealership times are, right? Because I was in two truck dealerships. It's like, if you get really good at it, they're going to be like, okay, well, then you can do it faster and faster and faster. And it's like, well, I don't want to work that hard to be honest, right? <laughs> so, you know, cause you look at like how, so like, for instance, like you, like so the first time, like a guy's given a clutch to do 18 speed clutch, right? So he'll, he'll probably be around the 20, 24 hour mark. And then you can, as you do 50 of them, you're probably down around the six to eight hour mark, right? But at six to eight hours, you're moving, right? And everything's heavy, nothing's light. You're under, you're still in tight spaces, but six to eight hours, and most companies are still charging fourteen twenty. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like if if you're charging hey, that much. This is a perfect example 
mm-hmm. because it's a it's an hourly shop, right? You're you might be hustling. Mm-hmm. You got paid your twenty four hours mm-hmm. when it took you twenty four hours. You got paid yeah. your twenty four hours if it took you six. There mm-hmm. is no incentive in an hourly shop for you to get down to six. Yeah. And this is the discussion that I'm openly having and I openly have with anybody that wants to debate about flat rate. <clears throat> Marshall. <clears throat> Marshall. Yeah. Marshall. Um, you know, flat rate, you know, flat rate sucks changed my mind, but at the same time, oh, it does. where's the beyond mm-hmm. beyond personal ambition? Mm-hmm. Right? Beyond personal ambition, there is no drive for the average human being to go if I get paid for 24 hours and it takes me 24 hours and nobody says shit for me when I take 24 hours, what is the incentive for me to do it in less time? Mm-hmm. Beyond beyond personal ambition without yeah. a reward mm-hmm. for doing it productively, mm-hmm. does it ever happen faster? Can it be done in eight? Yes. You've said yourself in this mm-hmm. particular circumstance, we're, we're yeah. hypothetically speaking. Mm-hmm. But if it can be done in eight, why does it take 24 yeah. It takes 24 because there's no incentive to do it in eight. Mm-hmm. The, the issue is in flat rate, we get so heavily penalized when it takes us 24 and we get penalized for so long that it takes us 24 that we don't get to eight. We can't afford to get to the point eight. Mm-hmm. And usually it doesn't pay, right? This is the, the biggest challenge in flat rate is it doesn't necessarily pay properly right off the bat. Mm-hmm. It usually usually you have to do it fifty times at a mm-hmm. bullshit time in order mm-hmm. to get to a point where this now customer pay and now you're doing now you're doing it in the fourteen hours and it pays fourteen hours yeah. or you're doing it you're getting paid fourteen hours and that's when it's taking you eight. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. challenge is finding the offset the delta and I mm-hmm. I talked about this regularly the delta difference your net positive over a period of time. Mm-hmm. You're, you're 24 out, you, you know, it takes you 24 hours and you get paid eight. That 16 hour difference is your learning curve. Yeah, exactly. How, what do you have to do personally so that you can minimize your 16 hour loss mm-hmm. as a learning tool to get to the next level? Mm-hmm. Again, as somebody threw out the other, the other day, we we're talking about MPIs and you know, it's against the law to force an employee to do something for free. Well, if they're hourly, it doesn't matter, nope. but it does matter if they're flat rate. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, and I bring this up you know, regularly, I've been doing MPIs for 20 plus years. I've been doing them for free for 20 plus years. It wasn't until somebody coined the phrase MPI and somebody somewhere said, we want to make sure they get done on every one, so we're going to pay them 0.1 or 0.2 to do it. And somebody went, ah, we should get paid for this. Mm-hmm. That now it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been a problem for a while, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that there was such a thing as a quote unquote MPI sheet because we didn't have sheets 25 mm-hmm. years ago, 20 yeah. years ago where I worked. And it wasn't until I started talking to dealerships in the US and really, really, really big stores in Canada in the last five years that I knew that the MPI was a, was a literal check sheet mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It was just common practice. You check yeah. every car out, stem to stern. You write a yeah. shopping list, good, yeah. bad, or otherwise. It could have one thing on it. It could have a hundred things on it. Mm-hmm. You write everything down, A, because of safety, mm-hmm. B, because if you miss anything, that's your ass, mm-hmm. and C, if you do miss something, that's an opportunity that you've missed to upsell. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's just good technician practice. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing them for free. And I, well, me specifically, and all the technicians that I've ever worked with were doing them for free. And we've been doing them that way for a long damn time. So, mm-hmm. again, debate, it's, it's a philosophical debate. Truly, yeah. it's a philosophical debate. And for every of these MPIs you might do, we've got something similar in the heavy-duty world, on the trucking world, mm-hmm. uh, quality inspection reports or whatever you want to call them, right? Um, mm-hmm. For every one of those, so for every hundred you do, you might get one customer that says, okay, do everything on the list or do the one thing on the list or do this, that's it. Mm-hmm. So you're doing all these inspections for what payout, right? Where's the payout for these inspections? Because, hey, yep. yeah, I'm going to do this inspection, hand it to the customer, and I think 90% of the time the customer's going to go, yeah, whatever, right? Fix it when yeah. it's cold, right? The chal- and this is where the challenge, okay? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm talking about delta positive here. What's mm-hmm. the net positive on free work? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not free work. Maybe you know, you, perhaps the dealership you work for or the small independent shop you work for charges for the MPI. Mm-hmm. It is what it is, whatever. Mm-hmm. But we're looking at the net positive. Mm-hmm. So two things have to happen. A, you have to do the MPI properly. Mm-hmm. Whether you get paid for it or not is irrelevant. You have to do the MPI properly. You have to do it on every single vehicle, whether it's a truck, whether it's a rig, whether it's a bus, whether it's a car, motorcycle, whatever. You have to do the MPI. You have to do it on every single time, and you have to do it properly. The secondary problem is, which is a really big problem, which is what I brought up on Friday this past week, is do you have you most of the time dealerships have a sales problem in the service drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, our good friend uh, Zach Perkle shared shared some information with me. I won't go into detail what it is, but specifically, his advisors in his service drive have closing targets. They are coached on a regular basis on what is and what isn't acceptable. They are coached on a regular basis on how to subvert objections and how to handle certain things. Um, they have processes in place to from start to finish in terms of the meet and greet, in terms of the walk around, in terms of how to present certain things in certain ways and so on and so forth. They have processes in place to help the service advisors close business. If you're in a dealership, whether it's a, a, a rig or, or, or a fleet or mobile or a car, if you don't have processes for both the technicians and the service advisors, you're going to lose on those MPIs, period, end of chat. Mm-hmm. Because the service advisors or whoever's selling the work needs to close. They need to close business. If they're not closing business successfully on a consistent enough basis, the people doing the MPIs, especially if they're doing them for free or or repair, forget about that, repair inspections or diagnostic inspections, if they're not closing on business, faith is lost on the shop floor to do the job and inspection properly mm-hmm. or yeah. at all for that matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A consistent number in the service industry is somewhere a, a consistent target to, to, to shoot for is about 40% closing. If you have a service advisor or a service writer that is consistently closing 40% of the time of whatever you sell or at least a portion of what you're selling 40% of the time, that's a good number. Mm-hmm. The delta that occurs in terms of technician pay, especially flat rate, that occurs when you have service advisors that are closing that high is so obscene that you will stop complaining about any free work. Mm-hmm. It's obscene. Mm-hmm. You have technicians out there that are closing in on you know, 150, 175, $200,000 US a year in flat rate. Oh, in wow. flat rate. And they are doing free MPIs. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you gotta be very self-reflective 
for anybody that's listening to this and you happen to be flat rate and you happen to be in a dealership doing free MPIs, I'm not condoning free MPIs. Mm-hmm. I'm also not condoning paying for them. Mm-hmm. I am, I am, this is the only thing that you will probably ever hear me say where I walk the fence. It's completely determinate on the, on the individual turning the wrench and the business that runs. If you mm-hmm. want to pay for it, up to you. If you don't want to pay for it, up to you. I see the benefit on both sides of that coin. But let me tell you, the shops that charge for MPIs are not making the money that the shops that are doing MPIs for free. Hmm. Hands down, the shops doing the MPIs for free are making way more money. The technicians are making way more money as a Delta positive, and the shops are making way more money Delta positive because the focus is on the customer safety, Hmm. period, bar none. Even if it's just cannon fodder conversation, truly, and somebody's actually greedy, fine. At the end of the day, that shop is going to make way more money long term mm. because they're doing free MPIs because it's safety first. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's my little rant on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a weird it's a weird uh, thing to think about flat rate in the heavy duty world. I don't. There's one shop in Edmonton and they are a flat rate truck shop and they've been a flat rate truck shop for well over a decade or more but they're the Mm -hmm. only shop in town and I had to go into that shop uh, when I worked at one dealership we got called over to I think cut some counter we were cutting counter boards in that one right and that shop was a dungeon and there was (laughs) parts everywhere spare parts used parts everything you were stepping over stuff how trucks even got in some bays at that point in time was insane but you could definitely tell like this is a flat rate shop right you guys are here to get in get out and i don't think there was no cleanup afterwards it was you know we'll figure it out when it gets too big of a pile right and yeah we went over there we're like we're supposed to open up an engine and cut counter bores in this mess like this is right but then you walk mm-hmm. in some other hourly shops and you've got guys that, oh, there's nothing to do. I guess we'll just wash this bay down, clean stuff up, empty some garbages, and and everything's looking tight and clean, right? So I don't know if that's how it is maybe in the automotive world. If, if flat rate shops seem tend to be a little bit more chaotic and mess. It's only chaotic if they don't have a good leader. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I You... It, I have walked into shops with 40 to 50 technicians in them and it's a purely flat rate shop and it's immaculate. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is ask anybody in there and go, who cleans the shop? It's like, we do. Oh, wow. You're flat rate though. You you don't get paid to clean. It's like, nope. You making good money? Yeah, I made 16 hours today. Five o'clock. Nice. So you have a shop that produces, you have a team that works together and you have a high value leader leading that knows how to lead. Nobody is going to chirp to clean. Mm-hmm. Nobody's yeah. gonna chirp to clean. And yeah. the ones that say, oh, I'm not cleaning, you know, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make financial sense for me to clean. You're right. Between the hours of roughly nine and 5 p.m., it makes absolutely no sense for you to clean. But mm-hmm. guess what? In a shop that's run by a high-value leader, you're going to keep your stuff tidy. You're going to put mm-hmm. your tools away after every job. You're going to make sure that everybody has what they need around you because they're helping you get make 16 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. There are porters who move parts. There are cleaners who clean up spills. There are 
tools and processes and people in place to make sure that the stuff stays clean throughout the day because the only way that a shop stays immaculate is if it's always immaculate. Mm. You have somebody who is full-time cleaning. You yeah. have apprentices doing full-time cleaning or you have a porter who literally their entire day is to keep the shop clean. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have 40 techs in a shop, you can afford to do that. A yeah. lot harder to do yeah. in a 10-bay shop. But mm-hmm. a 10-bay shop is a lot easier to keep clean than a 40-bay shop. Oh, yeah. For right? Sure. So... It's mindset mm. and leadership. Mm. If you have leadership capable of leading and providing the tools, resources, and customers so that the technician team can succeed, they remove a high value leader removes all reasons for excuses. They're re- removing all reasons for excuses. When when the service drive is full of closing sensational monsters who can close forty percent of the time on everything that walks through that service drive. There is so much money on every single one of those tickets that are coming through the shop. There is nothing to complain about. Hmm. When when I hear technicians in coaching and online, and I see forums and I see on my LinkedIn when when they're when they comment very very negative stuff because you know what complaint happens, especially on folks like Russell who's who's moved shops enough times that he should have gotten a good leader by now and still hasn't. That's indicative of the industry. When you move around, high value leaders change your life. Mm-hmm. Right, they completely change your life. If you've moved around enough times and you haven't had one, you know you haven't had one. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is, there's so the high value leaders are so unicorn. They're more unicorn than a good technician. Yeah. So when you have all of those pieces, tools, and people in place, you remove all excuses. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for you to not have your bay clean at the end of the day when you just made you know 12 hours in seven. Mm-hmm. Right, you, you work on four cars and make 12 hours because the average is three hours a ticket. Hmm. And you're making that, and it's like, oh, well, that happens every once in a while. It's like, no, when you're, you're I, I talk about CP warranty labor mix. Labor mix is a really big deal, and I don't think a big yeah. enough deal is made out of it for leaders because leaders typically aren't compensated to make sure that labor mix is appropriate for the shop to succeed. Yeah, but we used to see you, that all the time where guys they because our big thing is efficiency 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 mm-hmm. efficiency right so you got a guy that's constantly doing warranty stuff because he's good at doing warranty work um his efficiency is probably going to be 60 70 percent then you got a guy that's constantly doing retail and he's up around that 90 to 110 and then so when it comes time for things get slow who's going to go out the door your really good warranty guy or your really good retail guy? Well, probably your really good warranty guy, right? And because, and we know warranty times are shit in this industry, right? Because I don't know how they're developed, pull a magic number out of a hat and then that's what you gotta make. Like it's, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I've seen it so a few times in the dealerships where really good warranty guys come slow you go out the door. Out the door. And this is why I keep preaching. Yeah. You have to you have to track your own you have to track and document your own labor mix as much as you track your own hours. Mm. Because when, when folks complain about how much warranty they're doing, it's like, oh I do you know warranty seventy percent of the time or eighty percent like all I'm doing is warranty all the time. Mm. Well actually write it down and, and do the math. And every time somebody's come into coaching and said I do nothing but warranty and my warranty's gotta be this, and it's like send me your doc. You know, send me a, a report, you know, remove any dealership information, any private information that might happen to be on there. Remove it, send me the information, I'll do the calculations myself. 
And every time I do it, every single time I do it, it's like 80% or better CP. Like almost all the time it's 80% or better CP. The best shops that I have done uh, data analysis on for labor mix or efficiency, I've done it a bunch of times now. I've done it a bunch of times for free. I'm not going to be doing Anybody that's listening is like, oh, he's doing it for No, I'm not doing it for free anymore. Mm. But the times that I've done it up to this point, the best shops making the most amount of money, way more gross than you could ever imagine. It's obscene because they're looking for the 1% gains. Best shops are doing 90% CP, 10% warranty internal. Mm. And the ones, and the few techs that happen to be on the roster that aren't 90% are the ones that are solely to do internal. So they are full-time used car recon or they're full-time PDI or they're full-time accessory or, or things of that nature where they aren't touching customer pay cars at all, mm-hmm. right? Beyond that, it's for the most part 90% across the board. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit more 95 98% on the folks that are in Express because they're not going to do a warranty wiper blade or they're not going to do a, you know, whatever. It'll go into the mainline shop and somebody will take care of it, whatever, whatever. But the best shops are like 90% CP, 10% warranty. Mm-hmm. And the shops, the average shop thus far that I've done analysis on are like 75, 80% warranty. Sorry, 75, 80% CP, 10, per, 10 to 25% uh, warranty. Mm-hmm. The worst shops are the ones that are lower than that. But I have yet to encounter a shop that's got a less than 75% CP average. Mm-hmm. So anybody out there that's thinking, oh, my, this sucks, the warranty sucks, and I'm doing nothing but warranty, do the math. Mm-hmm. Seriously, do the math. And if you got a 75% or better CP to warranty rate and you still aren't making your 80 hours, self-reflect before you stop and start bitching again. Mm. Because if you can't make your, your 80 hours in two weeks and 75% of your hours are CP, it's you. Mm. It's not the dealership. It's not warranty. Mm. That's neat. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, I guess it's, it's such a drastic change between the two two industries between automotive and heavy duty because there's a lot of terminology you're throwing out and I'm like okay I, I know what it is okay yeah so I'm following and it's yeah it's a it's a little bit different but yeah I think yeah that uh, <clears throat> automotive is probably you know light years ahead of tracking when it comes to that kind of thing and maybe it is because of just the whole flat rate pay scale and um, dealerships being so much larger, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And but I think there's there's the opposite can also be true. Fleet and more specifically, perhaps mobile is way ahead of in HD and truck coach than automotive is because automotive is really just coming into its own the last five or so years on the mobile front especially because of covid yeah oh yeah you know ed roberts has got like seven i think he's got 19 vans so he's ford store big big ford store got like 19 vans mobile now he's got like 100 techs in his shop he's got like 19 vans on top of that with like two person teams in Mm -hmm. each one of these vans so they're trying to do mobile everything that they would have in a 90 tech store so it's it's that's a whole other ball of wax yeah but all the terminologies fundamentally from a service management standpoint mm. whether it's service manager or, or shop foreman or shop production manager Jim Bernasek would love to say and I love those phrases but the the base information technicians need to start learning because I think as we progress as we move on EVs are coming down the pipe, and as much as EVs are coming down the pipe, 
they're just going to be another option. Mm-hmm. Right? I believe they're just going to be another option because I think we're going to transition from heavy petrol and EV to petrol, propane, hydrogen. There's going to be lots of options out there, especially with Toyota and BMW pressing so hard for uh, hydrogen and mm-hmm. how much they've done already with hydrogen. I think it's yeah. just EV is just going to be another option. Mm-hmm. And if we get into some, you know, petrol and EV, EV is a whole ball of wax. We talked, Stefan really brought up safety concerns in terms of, of EV electricity and flat rate and in, and safety concerns. We talked about OSHA oh. earlier. Mm-hmm. Hydrogen is a whole nother ball of wax. Hindenburg was well, a thing for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. our safety in the shop needs to be thought of and flat rate may not be the best way to pay techs mm-hmm. in a shop with both a you know a power pack that if you touch wrong kills you mm-hmm. or if you touch wrong a hydrogen fuel cell explodes the shop yeah they may not necessarily be able to be in the same shop entity maybe it has to be a cordoned off uh, portion of the shop where you work on you know, part of the shop is EV, part of the shop is hydrogen, part of the shop is, is petrol. So it's it, how we do things, how we pay things, the base numbers that we talk about, you know, these are going to be heavily evolving things coming f- forward. And if you want to be a tech that's starting in the industry now or roughly starting the industry now, you want to put yourself in a position where you're first, mm-hmm. right? First is always the biggest paycheck. Right. If, if you can say, you know, in five years time, you're going to start at a Toyota store today and you're going to gobble up every ounce of hydrogen education you could possibly consume. That way, in five years time, you're the hydrogen technician. You're going to make more money than anybody else and you're going to do it for a while. Oh, yeah. You're going to do it for a while. You're going to corner market until they have lots of opportunities to do hydrogen courses and education and, and training. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you want to usurp flat rate uh, volume with hydrogen quality making straight time hourly at 50 55 60 65 dollars an hour because you're a hyper specialist that's what you want to do in the next five years yeah be the hyper specialist mm-hmm. and, it's, and i would imagine that some of your technicians are doing the same thing right at nait you're 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 teaching some of them now that are into that area right no we're uh we're a little bit behind uh the, our automotive program is probably, you know, just where every other automotive program is, but for heavy duty, we're still teaching mechanical fuel injection uh, engines. So, we're, yeah. We're That's long, depressing. Yeah, we're, we're behind. Um, and I think there is finally going to be some, some new curriculum development in the next year or two, I'm hoping. Um, yeah, even like uh, diesel emissions after treatment, it's, it's two days. Right. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's an entire it's an entire subsystem on its own that has to run properly, or else the rest of the truck fails. Yeah. So if you so today I uh, stopped by a buddy's shop and he had because uh, he manages a fleet for a moving company, and he had uh, internationals uh, field mechanic out there because um, they had a had a D, DEF injector problem. So and, you know I was just quick, I had a quick chat with him. I said so. What's most of your calls? And he said 90% after treatment. He said 90% of the time, all my phone calls throughout the day and that I chase from plus 40 to minus 40 is after treatment. He's like, all the time, D-rate 85%, okay, after treatment, after treatment. He's like, I've replaced DPFs, DOCs, 
SCR def tanks on the side of highways for guys so they can get up and moving. And that he's like, that's where I'm at. So is that yeah. mostly? I I would imagine that's mostly because the regens aren't being done properly. Yeah, more than anything, done properly uh, contaminated DEF. Um, yeah, all all kinds of things. Idle time. Contaminated DEF. Yeah. What do you mean contaminated? This is this is news to me. Contaminated DEF. Oh Meaning yeah. like it's a it's a DEF container that's that's gone off. No. Or operators like maybe I'll just add water because I'm low, or maybe diesel goes <laughs> here. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> I ran. I ran a I ran a service truck and ran the shop uh, for a rental company out here in Alberta. I got bought out by United Rentals. I did that for just over a year, and then I decided to get back to the truck dealership world. Um, but a lot of my calls as well were contaminated hydraulic tanks, fuel tanks, and DEF tanks, because that was when DEF was kind of first being introduced into the off-road world, especially in the rental mm-hmm. world, right? Because anything under a 40-horsepower diesel engine... I believe doesn't need to have after treatment so anything larger than that so you get your packer rollers and small excavators and stuff like that they started to be introduced to DEF and operators weren't trained so they're like I don't know what goes in there just put whatever in there right so I've cleaned out hydraulic oil diesel um, from the DEF tank and as well as clean DEF out of the fuel tank right because it's actually kind of interesting if you put about a hundred liters of DEF into the fuel tank and you unscrew the element fuel filter, it's just straight crystals, <laughs> right? And we know <laughs> our fuel system tolerances really love crystallized debris, right? So now here you are changing low pressure pump, high pressure pump, you know, uh, fuel rail, fuel lines, and fuel injectors. So what's that cost on a, you know, say Cummins ISX engine now? So we're looking at a $20,000 repair because an operator decided to put... Only twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Is it only twenty? I'm just trying to remember. I'm trying to go back. Okay. This is going back a number of years. Anybody out there at a, at a Dodge store can tell me what the new ones are. But I remember doing injectors on, on the old uh, Cummins when oh, they yeah. had just started to roll, roll the 24 valve. And I, if I recall, they were about fifteen hundred dollars piece for six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're talking like eight grand in injectors, give or take. And then high pressure grand? pump. High pressure pump. You know, common rail, fuel lines. Air. You know. They're usually what ten. Ten. Yeah. So you. I think. Yeah. With around labor, I think that la- that one. I just remember that one distinctly because I remember pulling the cutting the fuel filter open to take a look what was in there. It was just straight crystal, and I was like, "What is this?" And then you know, wow. you're a mechanic and you're curious, so you give her the old taste test, and I'm like, oh. that's, "That's deaf, that's deaf, yep. that's that's definitely deaf." And then so you spill a little bit of fuel out onto your workbench, and you wait a little bit, and then you actually see it start to crystallize with, and you know, as as it starts to evaporate a little bit, and you're like, "Okay, so that's we got to quote a whole new fuel system for this truck." So yeah, that's uh, it gets. The amount of, oh man, I guess, uh, I don't know what to call it, operator abuse or just operators either just not knowing or not caring. I think it's just pure ignorance because most of them I would imagine are, it's not malicious intent. I would imagine the majority of it's not malicious. I 
I've, I've got a job to do. This thing's not moving. It needs this. Maybe it's if I awesome. do this. Yeah. Mm. And it's usually maybe the person who is supposed to be around that's supposed to be helping out with this that maybe knows about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the joke is, you know, it takes 15 guys to dig a hole. Mm. And, you know, there's only one guy operating the excavator. Yeah. But at the same time, it means that all 15 probably don't know how to, to top up the DEF in the excavator. Yeah, exactly. And maybe yeah. that's the thing. I, I don't know. I'm I'm being very stereotypical and I'm I'm yeah. being rude to construction workers, but at the same time, if you're not educated, you shouldn't be doing stuff to any million dollar piece of equipment. Exactly. And I think that's kind of a, a big thing. I think any operator that's out there that's running any any diesel uh piece of equipment with an after treatment system should at least attend a, a you know, there's online courses uh, the company that I work for, we offer an online course um, company we're for on the side, we offer an online course, uh, just on after treatment and it should be some that, Hey, you know, so they kind of have just a better understanding and how expensive some of this equipment is that, you know, if you're going to go and put, you know, DEF or, you know, in the fuel system or get in there messing around yourself, what can actually happen? Right. So mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a, that's a great segue in, in, the big question because we've got folks out there that may not be the most educated operators putting stuff into stuff that they shouldn't be putting stuff into stuff Mm -hmm. as a piece of advice so what would your in your tenure as a teacher and your career as a mechanic what would be one piece of advice that you would give a mechanic out there to live to live happier healthier or more productive tomorrow and the next day and the day after oh i think i'm gonna have to go healthier I think uh, just over some of the injuries I've had uh, as a mechanic, um, find a good personal trainer or maybe even, you know, we all have jobs and most of us have benefits and never use benefits for like massage therapy, physiotherapy, whatever. If something starts to hurt and it's like nagging, get on it right away. I dealt with a knee injury that lasted three or four years, right? And it wasn't until, and, and then it started to affect my mobility. And then the muscle on my quad actually shrunk up because I was favoring that knee so much, right? And it wasn't until I actually found actually a good physiotherapist and then found a good personal trainer. But then, you know, they were saying this kind of could have been avoided if you kind of took care of it. And then, you know, <clears throat> um, and now my big thing is I work on mobility at least once or twice a week, just doing mobility exercises so things don't get stiff. And you know what it's like spending, you know, sometimes we're spending six hours, eight hours a day in a really tight spot, body position isn't that great. And then you just go home, eat, do what you gotta do, and then it's, you know, time to hit the, hit the sack, right? So make some time to take care of yourself physically because it's going to pay off huge as you start to age. And there are some guys out there and all they want to do is wrench till they retire. And that's great. Um, but take care of yourself physically, find, you know, find a good personal trainer and just get you set up on a plan so that you can do some good, good exercises. Right. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. I think, I think the, I, I won't amend that myself in any way shape or form my my only shall we say addition to that is if you happen to find yourself as a person who 
if you're listening and hear that as an overwhelming thing that you need to do when you when you think about your work day and you think about how much you work and what you need to do to get through your day you know you you feel you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and you don't have time to do this and you don't have time to do that well just like we we don't have we may not have time to fix it right the first time but we always have right time to to fix it right the second and third time yeah yeah the same thing applies to your body but the yeah. only the difficult difficult difference is you can you can fix metal mm-hmm you know, if, if it's still metal, it you can still fix it or, or you can replace it. Mm-hmm. Your body's not the same thing. And, and t- when time passes on a car, it doesn't care. Mm-hmm. You're, we don't get time back. Yeah, we don't get time so back. And there's time. That health that you yeah. spend on yourself is important. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, Brent mentioned a PT or, or a personal trainer. You don't have to go to the gym two hours a day. No. to be strong and lift weights and all the rest of that. You you can spend 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes a day or a couple of times a week. Do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, do something. Something, something to keep your mobility up because that's the biggest thing I've found even just in the last little bit sometimes, you know, especially during COVID because I would sit here in my office and teach – a lecture for three or four hours in the morning and you're just sitting there and you get up to move and you're like holy crap and then you know you, the next day you go to sit down and you're like oh man next thing you know you've got sciatic problems and it's because of you know bad posture sitting for too long whatever and then so you know you go and you know, talk to my physiotherapist oh yeah you, you've been sitting for too long that's why your sciatic is acting up you get up and move around mm-hmm. here's a couple of mobility exercises to help with that start doing those and then i found out you know couple times a week 20 minutes you know three times a week that it it's just not there anymore right and it just became a habit where it's like oh i gotta go do that right so yeah same with the the injury plagued me for years and i think that led to uh that kind of spiraled me a little bit so and really got down on myself is you know it just hurt all the time and i didn't want to go for surgery because then you're out for six, eight months. So who's paying the bills mm-hmm. if you're out for six or eight months, right? Not, and we, WCB pay isn't that great. Um, short-term, long-term disability still isn't that great, right? So if you're in a position nope. where you need to work, then you're just knocking back painkillers like Skittles and it's not a fun road to go down. So if you can get on top of it. You know, I, I've had both knees done, and I've yeah. had my rotator cuff done on my right shoulder. It's it's not fun. That mm-hmm. I look at. There's a couple of things to to piece apart there. If anybody's listening, still pain. Forget about the injury for a second, mm-hmm. and how it makes you modify your day because you're going to be less productive. Mm-hmm. Forget about that for a second. Pain changes how you react to the world. Mm. So, if you are experiencing pain in any way, and I mean headaches, you know, eye aches, allergies, muscle aches, bone aches, uh, bowel issues, whatever the case may be, if you are experiencing pain, you're not going to be as productive, and it's going to infiltrate the rest of your life. It's going to infiltrate your work life. It's going to affect your, your home life. It's going to affect how you – and the key here, it's going to affect how you respond. 
And the only thing that we have control of every day is how we respond, period. Mm-hmm. You cannot control what somebody else does. You can try to influence. It's why the book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People exists because it's, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But you still can't control people. You can try. That's why revolutions happen. But you can try. The only thing that you can control is your, your ability to react to something. If your ability to react to something is hampered by pain, you're not going to react necessarily in the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. So maybe you, you snap at your wife. Maybe you snap at your boss. Maybe you snap at your baby. All because you're refusing to go to the gym and do some mobility training. Mm-hmm. Or you're refusing to go see a therapist because... For whatever reason, your bay made something really mean to you, and it was the last straw. And for some reason, you know, for 25 years, 30 years of your life, you've had a thick skin. Now it's eating at you. And now that something mean he said to you is turning into monsters in your closet, which is turning into depression, which is turning into anxiety, which is turning into stress. And it turns into all of the statistics that I, that I completely based building this business around, which is... Uh, unaliving mechanics it's if that's such a pain starts that pathway so if you are in pain follow some instructions yeah that's uh that thick skin you know that's that's kind of one thing that i've had to kind of maybe reflect on a little bit over the last couple years because it's uh you know we're we're mechanics. We're you know we're supposed to have thick skin, right? But that shit weighs on some people. You know they try and put on this tough outer layer, but at the end of the day, we don't know what's going on in their personal life. So we do have to be kinder, kinder and gentler with one another because sometimes this working in some shops that I've worked in, that shit just gets old, right? Like just harassing each other. There's, there's, you know, there's time and a place for it, I guess, right? But this, you know, <clears throat> I don't know what I, I don't know how to put it in words like macho, making fun of each other all the time and just putting each other down. Like I think that's in our industry, that's just got to go, right? I think some guys are just tired. I think, of it, right? I think <clears throat> there is a line, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, one of the statements I think is very true. Very seldom do we insult, berate, harass people unless we enjoy their company. Well, yeah. Like there's yeah. there's a there's a line. Mm-hmm. I think. I think when it becomes hurtful, is mm-hmm. people that we don't like. Yes, that's a problem. Exactly. I think that's kind of where I was going. With that it's uh, yeah, where I've seen that too many times. Where I've seen guys. Uh, sitting around the lunchroom table and then other guys just jump in and you can tell the look on their face and then they just get up and leave the lunch table and guys are just laughing about it and it's like no like this this you don't nobody knows what this guy's going through right it's too much and it's like oh fuck whatever he's just got to grow up and it's like no no this is it's got to end so I think it's got to it's got to end to a degree because I don't I don't think you're ever going to get rid of Mm -hmm rid of that there, there's a line like I said there's a line there because we as men I think and, and, and I am no expert on this but just as I get older I'm starting to notice it maybe a little bit more status is a thing mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Good, bad, or otherwise, status is a thing. Mm-hmm. Power is a thing. Dominance is a thing. Mm-hmm. Leadership is a thing, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. And I think we all, especially as men, we subconsciously want to be in the lead, or we want to be... Or you know what? There's there's people out there that love to f- to purely follow. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that either. Mm-hmm. I have openly admitted that I am a, f- I would find myself a far better number two to somebody who is a good leader. Mm. I succeed significantly better when I have a little bit of guidance, a little bit of direction, a little bit of vision to say, this is where we want to go. This mm-hmm. is these are the you know the bullet points of what what we want to accomplish. Go do. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy to go, okay, and then my brain goes, okay, this is how we're, we can, these are the 15 ways that we can accomplish this, this is the 15 ways we can accomplish and, and go. I'm, I think I'm far better in that situation, which I think is why I'm, I'm really enjoying working with Russell and Rickle at Fixed Up. I just call them Rickle. <laughs> He's going to yeah, chuckle. Yeah. Russ and Rick at Fixed Up's Marketing because I, I have direction. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can run a lot better that way. Mm-hmm. But, in a context of like you've given it in the lunchroom when we're so-and-so harassing each other when you know there's three or four lads that have got on really well no different than i have and you know you walk in the room and i remember abby the first time he said it abby was one of, uh, one of my groomsmen at my wedding he abby was trinity so i walk in the door walk in the lunchroom carrying my sandwich and the first time you said it, it just made me laugh so hysterically and it made me laugh every time you just called me Wonder Bread mm. and that became the running gag mm-hmm. every single time yeah but I was always there for him when he needed me he was always there for me when I needed him yeah. same thing with my best friend Michael Dam Dameron was always there and we would just literally harass the shit out of each other but we were always it was never a question of you know if I need help, it's when I need help, Dameron will be there. When yeah, I need help, um, Abby will be there. Mm-hmm. There was never a question about that. Mm-hmm. And if anyone ever tried to jump in and be like, oh, white bread or white bread or whatever the case may be, it's Abby would snap at him. Mm-hmm. Mike would snap at him. Yeah, yeah. It would be done. Yeah. When you don't have your immediate circle both be able what's what's maybe it's a better uh, a sibling analogy no one i'm going to absolutely flambe my sister the next time i see her but no one else is allowed to do that it's the same thing with yeah. your your baymates your best mates yes. it's yeah. the same thing that goes yeah. i think we're losing a little bit of that and i think you you spoke on it earlier there's there's a bit of a loss of mentorship Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily that bay, say that baymates are the mentorship, but there's a, there's a loss of that person on the shop floor that was able to disseminate between what is harassment mm-hmm. and what is a couple of the boys being boys or a couple of men being men and building relationships. Yes, yeah. That person is a shop foreman. Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe this loss of shop foreman, even in the small shops, is a major cause the current predicament we're in with shortage amongst a, a, a apprentice shortage technician shortage and the, and the sale, major sales problem I think that the biggest reason beyond those two is a lack of leadership on the shop floor by a shop mm-hmm. foreman yes and I think you mentioned it in one of your other previous podcasts 
and it seems to be the shop foreman that usually the guy that usually gets the shop foreman position now is the guy that was the most efficient or the corporate bootlicker you want to call it mm -hmm. right and not necessarily and and not a leader right but management decided hey you're kind of our yes man you know a lot so you're going to be the shop foreman right mm -hmm. and you're going to press your foot against everyone else to make them work harder well mm -hmm. we we as technicians don't respond to that and then the second that that happens right you know you see morale you see efficiency drop right and then there's always a big disconnect between technician to foreman to service manager whatever you want to call it right and then you wonder why technicians are you know journeyman technicians are blowing up at their at their foreman's right mm -hmm. it's because of that and management i think loses sight of who's the best not necessarily the best leader on the floor because that could just be a popularity contest but where's a guy that can, yeah, like you were saying, disseminate, kind of keep things flowing in the shop, can be, can bridge the gap between everyone, right? And that's hard to come by these days. So Having, how do I explain this eloquently without being an idiot? A shop foreman, to me, is the first person to defend the shop, mm -hmm. but also be the first one to eject the asshole. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. They need. They are the people that know exactly when to do that. Yeah. And if the person that is running your shop as a shop foreman, because they fundamentally they should be running the shop. A shop foreman should run the shop. Mm -hmm. They may not be dispatching. They may not be doing that they should be running the shop mm -hmm. they will know who's doing what when how so on and so forth mm -hmm. they will know who's capable of being pressed and who's capable who's not capable of being pressed mm -hmm. they will know the personalities they will know the wives they will know the brothers they will know the sisters they will know the children they will know the anniversaries they will know those things because they are in these people's faces all day long mm -hmm. a proper non-working foreman will know that mm -hmm. the working foreman will not know as much if any of that mm -hmm. and the ones that are working foreman that do know that like my very good friend richard mueller those are unicorns yes, yes. the ones that can that can produce and do that are mm -hmm. bloody unicorns mm -hmm. the non-working foreman should a be making a very good healthy living because they are literally the dumping ground for all of the technicians shit mm -hmm. they are the emotional support animal for 15 to 20 men mm -hmm. who need to be able to go to somebody and literally deluge their emotional state and the foreman eats it and goes all right thank you for sharing that yeah. How do I help you get through today so that yeah. you can be successful and making sure that you have a paycheck at the end of the day for your family mm -hmm. and you can go home and be a civilized human being with your family? How can I help you do that? Mm -hmm. And a person that is taking on that much, like a person that is taking on that much, it doesn't matter what industry, it needs to be paid well for that. Oh, exactly. And the challenge is from a management standpoint going, well, they're not producing any work. 
and they're not in a in a administrative reporting and and sales port position why are we paying them so much money because this person who is your shop foreman is a leader who's capable of leading your team to success but is also somebody who can look at all of the actual technical problems that your team is looking at and going I can help fix that. I can help them be successful and I can teach them how to do that so that they don't have to come and ask me again. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, an asset that is exceptionally difficult to measure. My my basic metric is whatever you're paying your non-working shop foreman, they should be 3xing their value minimum. Mm-hmm. So if you if let's say you have a, a shop of 10 technicians, you elevate one to shop foreman, non-working shop foreman, so you have nine. You bring in another one to replace him down at the bottom, so now you have a new apprentice. And you pay him, let's say you pay him 100 grand a year. By the end of 12 months, from them acclimatizing themselves to now leading, to the end of the year, you should have added roughly $25,000 a month in revenue. Mm-hmm. Just by having one. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, then maybe look at how you've trained them, maybe look at how you're communicating with them, maybe look at what their autonomy level is, maybe they're not being able to do the things they need to do to be successful, maybe there's environmental changes that they wanna do that you've not authorized, or maybe you've maybe you've promoted the wrong individual and they are truly not capable of leadership, but that's all. That's, there's a whole conversation around shop foreman that we're having, I think the lads and I are, are are slowly coming to each and every episode of 10 mil mastery. We're coming to the conclusion that shop foreman is probably the most vital role in the entire dealership because we, we help sales sell vehicles. Yes. Sales sells a car, but service sells the second one in a properly functioning shop led by a proper functioning service, uh, uh, shop foreman is going to sell two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. They're going to sell it to the rest. You have shop a shop foreman capable of leading your service team also means that they're going to be able to teach service advisors, hey, this is how the shop needs to communicate. Can I help you uh, figure out how to talk to the shop so that you can be better at what you do? Mm-hmm. You know, a shop foreman is going to be mm-hmm. able to do that. Yeah. So, do you have any questions, good sir? We've been talking for, for a good hot minute here. I know, right? Oh, man. I... I think that's yeah. I don't really have many for questions. It's yeah. It's been this has been great. But yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Have I answered all your questions? I thought there was. We answered all of mine. We we've yeah. we've got all of mine all answered. So that's awesome. So yeah. there's lots of good info in there for lots of folks.